This week on the Time Blaster Toycast, it's time for another game night, but this time with a twist. The CEO and mastermind behind Mastermind, Rummy Cube, Triominos, Gooey Louie, and oh so many more, Jim Pressman of Pressman Games joins us for a discussion of his Hall of Fame career right after this break. Welcome to the Time Blaster Toycast. You can download this podcast on all major streaming platforms, including Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to leave us a review. On each episode, we will select a random review for a very special giveaway. To stay up to date with us, please make sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube at Time Blaster Toys, also at The Retro KO. We also want to hear from you. Ask us a question on Twitter or Instagram using the hashtag AskTimeBlasterPod, and we will try our best to answer as many as we can on the show. My name is Dave, at Matthew Priest on social media, and we are A-L-I-V-E alive and kicking with the following toy cast, which is a special edition scheduled for a 60-minute time limit. Introducing first, your hosts. They're weighing in today with the stress of fatherhood and fanfare of figures with actions. They are the reigning, defending, toy cast tag team champions of the world at Retro KO Joe, at Time Blaster Toys Keith, together known as the Time Blaster Toy Cast. And now, making their way to the Time Blaster Toy Cast toy aisle, today's guests have been in the toy industry their entire life. The masterminds have taken pop culture and converting it into a party game. On November 29th, their book, A Century of American Toys and Games, The Story of Pressman Toys, published in celebration of their 100th year anniversary releases worldwide. Please welcome the board game gurus, innovators of imagination, toy trailblazers, Hall of Famers, and now authors, ladies and gentlemen, Jim and Donna Pressman. I, 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 that was a great intro, I'll tell you. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm flabbergasted. That's how we do it around here. Yeah. I'll tell you, it's a joy to be here and to be on your show. Uh, we are really honored uh, to be part of this. It's it's great, and it's great to be looking back at at some of the great years that we've had as a company, and it's a joy. Yeah, we just want to thank you both for being here. Um, and I, I mean, the book, a hundred years of games, and I just before we even start talking, I just want to thank you guys for all the games that you've produced over the years. Looking at the list of Pressman titles. So many games, you know, as a child, now as an adult, so many games that me and my family play were created by you guys. And it's just uh, unbelievable that what one family can do in a span of a, of a century. Right. Absolutely. Uh, it, it, it was a lot of fun, I'll tell you. I mean, you know, business has a lot of different sides to it. But the creating of the games when you found something that you loved was, was definitely one of the joys. And, uh, you know, we worked with some great inventors over the years. And we had some great people, and uh, you know it was a great, a great team effort. And I'm I'm so glad that we brought, you know, joy to you and and all the other people who who, who bought our games. Now you mentioned the inventors there. Uh, I guess just take us through the process of how how does a game start 
in like the brainstorm session and then end up on the shelves? Like, could you walk us through that whole process of what, what it takes to make a game happen for us to play at home? Well, um, you know, we certainly had, you know, built a reputation over the years. So we had good connections with many of the game inventors around the country and around the world. Uh, some of them were in L.A., some in Chicago, some in Minneapolis, uh, New York, you know, and they were scattered around. But those were some of the main hubs. And they would we would meet them uh, twice a year. Someone from the company would would meet inventors and they would bring back the games that they thought had the best, you know, appeal. <clears throat> so it, it was a variety of things. Sometimes uh, if the game was already successful in Europe, you know, it had already been tested. So we knew that had some legs and we, we could go with it without any testing. But one of my favorite ones that we tested was, was Gooey Louie. Uh, Gooey Louie just sneezed. Look what came out of his nose. Gooey's. Pull one out, but watch out. Pick the wrong one, and he'll flip his lid. Oh, no, his brains flew out. Go ahead and pick a winner. It came back, and we we loved it. <clears throat> and we had heard that other companies had tested it, but they tested it uh, with the kids and the moms in the same room, right? And so the kid felt funny about saying how much they liked this game where you actually are putting, you know, snot or gooeys out of gooey's nose. It was a yeah. little disgusting for, you know, they thought. So they didn't want to tell their mom that they loved it. But when we tested it and what we would do, would we would test it with like six or seven different games and see which ones they wanted at the end of it. And when we tested it just with the kids behind one of those mirrors, they just loved playing it. Um, and, 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 and so at that point, you know, we made the uh, a licensing deal with the inventor. Uh, this, in this case, someone out of Chicago, uh, 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 Meyer was his name, uh, Steve Meyer, Steve Meyer. and uh, the rest was history. You know, it was one of it, it broke the mold for for the that kind of game. Yeah, I, I mean, you're totally right. Honestly, Gooey Louie, it was almost uh, maybe like ahead of its time, right? Like oh, yeah. in, in modern play now with kids, so much stuff is centered on gross. slime and grossness, <laughs> yep. and Gooey Louie comes along, and there really wasn't any game like it, mm -hmm. you know, prior to its arrival. And I do I remember reading in the book about the, you know, the focus groups that you guys had with it. Just interesting stuff, man, to think to, the influence a parent has on a kid to test yeah. it without them. You know what I mean? Like you said, the other companies test it with the parent in the room. The kids right. aren't going to say right. they enjoy it. It's wild, man. Right. It's crazy. Uh, it, it's a, it, was, it was really great, really great. And it was such a big hit. <laughs> And I'm just picturing that commercial right now. Yes. So. Yep. <laughs> you pull the pull the wrong, the wrong snot and the mm -hmm. brain pops the out. The brain too. pops out. Yep. There's a cherry on top, the brain popping out of the top of the head. Yeah, and, and Keith mentioned the book there, which comes out November 29th, uh, The Story of Pressman Toys. And, and what was the motivation behind writing a book and putting all of these these stories of these games? I mean, we, you just talked about Gooey Louie, which we can read about in the book. But what made you want to write the book? And You know, that's where my wife comes in because – she really wanted to do something, not just for the, it was for the family. My, my mother came with, she had five sisters and a brother. So there's a lot of cousins. And and, the, and, and if I didn't do the story, as as Donna said, then the story would never have been told. Mm -hmm. And it's, it is such a, it's such a great story between my father starting the company a hundred years ago to then when he passed away, my mother, one of the few women in the industry and in the world who ran the company for 20 years. Right. And then uh, <clears throat> to be able to take on the legacy myself and, you know, to build it from there. 
you know, I think I was very lucky to be able to tell the story, but that was the genesis, really. Well, the book, the book really is a number of stories, um, mm -hmm. you know, intertwined, but it was the family story uh, that we wanted to instill the spirit. There was, there was spirit in the family. So sure. That, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, you know, uh, a lot of history, you know, through World War II and through the Depression and how the company survived and flourished. Uh, I mean, it was interesting. It's, you know, COVID, in the same way that World War II and the Depression helped the toy industry, COVID was a boon for, for board games and puzzles of, of the book, was to tell the story and to pass it on as a legacy. A legacy, right. And I imagine, you know, you can't compile this much information dating back 100 years without a lot of work, right? I'm sure it took years to to get this in order i imagine jimmy's the detail man you know and i'm i'm the cheerleader but um <laughs> we and we were lucky enough goliath did a great job of here's the big word digitalizing but they were able to put all the logs on the computer so we didn't have to look through old catalogs we actually thing on screen so I that see. started but then, but but the real right the real treasure trove was up in Rochester, where the uh, the, the Strong Museum is 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 located, and they had been given by someone who collected Playthings magazines from the time that they first started writing them in 1904 or something, and okay. that's where we spent days looking through these magazines, which were 600 pages long, and found things that we never knew. I mean, the pictures of my father in in his business with something called a Zellophone was something that I had no idea even existed. And that's how he basically started the company before he found Chinese checkers. And that is what really, you know, made him a real toy company when he when he found that game. Yeah, wow, that's, that's unbelievable. That yeah, is. so Chinese checkers was the boom. So you mentioned the strong, and you just recently became a, a Hall of Famer yourself there, Jim. And... Um, and and how how did that feel? Walk us through that. How did that come to be? And and are you have any toy? Are you going to be pushing for any toys to get in the Hall of Fame now? Any of your games? Uh, well, I mean, personally, that was I guess the coup de grace of a, of a of a lifetime that I spent in the industry. You know, I ran the company for almost forty years, which is almost both my father and I both ran the company actually for thirty seven years each. And then it was about twenty in there, um, but. Um, uh, I had goosebumps when, when my friend uh, Bob Moog, who's University Games, and we had worked together, called me as part of the toy industry to tell me that I'd be going to the Hall of Fame. You know, it's one of these things, and I'm, it's probably cliche, I mean, you work your whole life and you work hard and you, you do, but you don't think you're doing anything special. You're, you're just doing what you like and what you want. Right. And to be honored like that, you know, is uh, just... I can't, you know, can't describe it. Actually, it's just, it just blows my mind that that would be. And, you know, me and my father in there together. We're one of only two families, I think, that have multi people. And of course, towards wow. the end of my mother's life, she always wondered well, how come she's not in the Hall of Fame. And I had no good answer other than, you know. But anyway, we go, we move on. <laughs> have you been pushing for any game specific game to try to get in there with you? Well, you know, uh, Rummy Cube certainly is a standalone game now that is 
by far like the bellwether of the company. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, in terms of games that deserve to, to be there, you know, I mean, Gooey Louie does groundbreaking, uh, but there's a plethora of, of, of games there from Mastermind and even, even Blockhead, uh, you know, which I don't know that they will make, but that had a long history. And I think that was in some Hall of Fame somewhere. You know, I, I can't really pick a favorite from the action game category so much. I mean, Hydro Strike, I, I loved. You know, it broke the mold for having water play indoors. Um, people said they would never, kids wouldn't be allowed to play with water indoors. And with Hydro Strike, it was a two-player pinball game. And when you scored a goal, you sprayed the opponent, play, the opponent player with some water. And yeah. uh, that's what happened. The kids loved it. They could get sprayed by the water, you know. <laughs> you know, one, one thing that goes back historically that uh, my wife was just reminding me of was when my mother took over the business, she was very flamboyant and very, uh, uh, she was a star in, in her own right. Uh -huh. And she had to be in order to survive in that world with all the men. She, she had to have some class and some chutzpah. Uh -huh. and, and one of the first things she did at the first toy fair, she had a line of, of, of games where memory was, was the key. And when you think of memory, you think an elephant never forgets. Right. And so she brought this actual uh, elephant <laughs> to the first day of toy fair in front of the toy building so that the press and all the buyers could see and draw attention to, you know, to coming up to the showroom. When, when we found that picture- uh, I was gonna say, when uh, Jimmy and I were starting the book, we knew that picture existed, but we didn't know where, and no one in the family had a copy. So we went up to the Strong, and Jimmy knew about the year, um, you know, when Lynn did this. Go ahead. And, and we found it. And, and, <laughs> and, and, and then we knew we had a book. Yeah. Wow, yeah, that's, that's amazing. Awesome. So I guess now would be a great time to talk about Rummy Cube for a moment. We just kind of touched on it. Uh, I, as an adult man, I don't think there's any game that I play more with my family than Rummy Cube. Yeah. Like me and my wife were having a one-on-one -on -one battle like <laughs> five days, uh, five days ago. Yeah. Uh, especially, you know, Rummy Cube kind of infuses a few different games, and one of them is Rummy in Michigan. We're from Michigan. Michigan Rummy is like a huge presence in our state. <laughs> yep. So like Rummy Cube has just been a staple of our family for 30 years, you know what I mean? Mm. Just a timeless, timeless game. It warms my heart, and it's so nice that it does get passed down because there was a concern 20 years ago, 15 years ago, that Rummy Cube was being played only by the older generation. And uh, to see what's happened to it, you know, over the last few years has been really satisfying. And yeah. when it was Saturday Night Live last year, they did the bit. And the stories we hear from other people, I mean, there was a woman whose tombstone had a Rummy Cube Joker on the tombstone. <laughs> it's really a, 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 a marvelous game. Yeah, I mean, mm -hmm. I can assure you it's being passed down in my family. Oh, yeah. My kids are uh, eight and six years old, and they both play Rummy Cube yeah. with us, so... It's just a staple of that Michigan upbringing. Yeah, the last time we played it, my 10-year-old beat me. So, oh. you know, we'll, <laughs> we'll leave that there. Well, it's, it is an amazing game. You know, over the years, it, as I point out in the book, you know, the game originated in Israel. The, the, uh, the son of the, of the father who invented the game uh, mm -hmm. would hold a world championship every three years 
in some exotic location. Uh, the, the top of the Eiffel Tower, they would have the championship on top of Saint a mountain, Saint Moritz. And it was interesting, some of the countries, so the players get so sophisticated, they would actually hold all their piles until they realize that they could put them all down and oh, go go out all in one move. Yeah. Wow. Is that a strategy? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> Never thought about that. That's wild. I haven't come close to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, let's change gears real quick. So we're talking Rummy Cube, which is a very sophisticated uh, game, but I mean it can be played by all ages. But a different game, kind of the other end of the spectrum, one that I know is near and dear to Joe's heart. Let's talk a little bit about. Dizzy Dizzy Dinosaur. Oh, please, <laughs> yes. <laughs> It was a great game. It was. It came out of a, a big inventing house out of Chicago, the Meyer Glass Group. They they were classic inventors, and our our in house person went out there and came back with this game with a tornado in the center of the board, uh, which you know makes sense. It whirls, but you know we just felt that tornadoes happen in certain parts of the country, and not all over the country. Uh, so we kicked a whole bunch of things around. And actually, it was one of our fellows who has been uh, purchasing at the time uh, who came up with the idea of a dinosaur, a Dizzy Dizzy Dinosaur. I watched the, the commercial last night for Dizzy Dizzy Dinosaur, and that jingle, mm. it just yeah. gets stuck in your head. Man. Great jingle. <laughs> You're absolutely right. And that combination you know, of a, of a good playing game with a good commercial, that, that was a huge hit for us. Like a million games we shipped on that. Speaking of the commercial, did you have any influence over the commercials or seeing in the process? Or how did how did that work when they were designing the commercial to promote the game? Uh, no, you know, we were hands-on. We were a small outfit. So, you know, over the years, we had two or three really great agencies. I'd say two really great agencies, actually. Um, <laughs> two different phases of the company. And the commercials they did were terrific. But, you know, we were very, very concerned you always had to explain the game and not too complicated and yet it needed to be entertaining and at one point the jingles you know were key um i mean the first commercial i remember doing with the action games was a game called topple introducing some terrific balancing acts including topple topple's a game of balance for each full row or stacking them high four or more and you score on this topple <laughs> topple from pressman games people play together oh yeah oh, i love topple we all know topple we were talking about that favorites. this morning <laughs> that's an iconic ad too the topple ad that's a yes. great ad that is a great ad right yeah I mean, and uh, don't let topple topple, you know, who, whoever came up with that great line, you know? Was that you? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't come up with the lines. I vetoed lines, but I didn't create them. But, um, yeah, no, that game, you know, that was one of the best playing games. And, and the inventor there, this fellow, uh, Frank Tebold, 
I don't know that he ever created any other successful game. I and mean, you're out there, Frank. Uh, maybe you, I don't know about it. You know, uh, that happened a lot. I mean, there was a game, Triominoes. Ooh, that's my game that's right your game, That's yeah. my number two, Triominoes. Yeah, that was such a huge game for us. For, for, when, when I first joined the company, that basically, I built the game on the company on Triominoes, the way my father did it on Chinese checkers. Uh-huh. And that came from an inventor, a, a quirky French Jewish guy, Alan Cowan, who invented some kind of a hat and an umbrella. I mean, it's all over the place, but created one great game. Well, Triominoes was interesting to read about um, how I get what. So it was launched in 1968, and it wasn't until, what, about a decade later when you started taking over, Jim, that it really like caught on. It took yeah. about like a 10 years, word of mouth, grassroots growth, and yeah. then the advertising kicks in. And I mean, Triominoes, again, you know, Rumba Cube and Triominoes, those are the two games my family plays mm-hmm. all the time. I've never, we've never forted into the Triominoes with the four sides, though. Alan's uh, Quadominoes, that never really had the same cachet that Triominoes had. And these games, what's nice is they do translate all over the world. Triominoes, Rummy Cube, they're played, you know, virtually everywhere. Yeah, honestly, that, I, I, I mean, that's a whole new facet of, of gaming, you know, with phones and apps and being able to take some of these timeless games and turn them into something that can pl- be played on a phone. I don't even know if the, if it, you know, the full potential of that has even been reached yet, right? Right, right. And, you know, there's always the concern, will that, you know, hurt, hurt sales of the regular game? But it hasn't. The Rummy Cube is online, and I know a lot of people do that, but like you do, you know, playing it with people together, you know, is a whole different, a whole different feeling. Yeah, so how, do, how does that work? I mean, you've been, as, as mentioned, a master in, in the licensing end of, of taking, like, pop culture and turning it into a board game, but how does that work when your board games are now becoming phone apps and games on the phone? Yeah, it, um, you know, I, I think in some ways it helps because if you play it on the phone and then you want to play the actual game, you know, there's these synergies. It's, it's just like when TV came out, people thought you wouldn't go to movies anymore. You know, somehow yeah. everything coexists. Uh, now, of course, we're going back to TV and <laughs> West movies. But, um, uh, yeah, it, it, you know, there's room for everybody. I, I think when we had Wheel of Fortune uh, and we had Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, which was the biggest game we ever had, uh, mm-hmm. there were no other kind of electronic games out there. So sales of those games will, probably won't be reached again. The, the quantities that we because you do have some, uh, you know, uh, cannibalization of, of the of 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 a license, but uh, you know there's still room for everybody. Yeah, in reading in the book uh, with you know who wants to be a millionaire in 2000, it being such a huge hit, you know the highest selling game in the history of your company, and what it ends up being a game of the year, license of the year, just man, un- unreal, huh? I mean, I guess what I, what I was interested about in reading about that is how I. You know, when the game first launched, it was kind of at a slow start for a little while, and then it right. p- picked up steam. Was that just because of the holiday season? What do you think took? Why did it take a few months? Because once it caught on, it was everywhere. I mean, everybody had that game. I, I I think it is the holiday season. I think that is probably what happened. I mean, the show itself gained momentum as it went on. You know, originally it was maybe one night or two nights a week, and then it was four or five nights a week. The crescendo, which is built to an amazing show, you know, it was a wonderful show. 
so so the the show prior to that, going back to when you first took over the company, Wheel of Fortune, that was like your first big game that that Who Wants to Be a Millionaire ended up you know overpassing, right. but. Walk us through that. How did that come to be with with Wheel of Fortune? And then how, I mean, that was what a couple million dollar game idea you had there. And then you were off the races, right? Exactly. I mean, Wheel of Fortune uh, was the first time we got into the TV game show licensing in my era. And uh, it all happened because I visited a buyer in Philadelphia. And the show had just gone on the air and was kind of doing so-so. But in Philadelphia and in another couple of cities, it was really hot. And he said, you should look into this game. And when I looked into it, it had started to really build. And it was one of the lower amount of money I ever had to, you know, give uh, deal because nobody was really aware of it. But, you know, as fortune struck, once we took the license on, you know, it just went crazy with Vanner and everything and, 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 Pat Sajak. So we rode the crest. I mean, the Wheel of Fortune and the Deluxe Wheel of Fortune. That broke the mold for us at the company. It was the number one game in the company. The first time we ever had that. And then, uh, you know, it was a few years later. Um, but I mean, that, but we really got into the game show business. I mean, we did Jeopardy right after Wheel of Fortune. You know, we did a bunch of others. Some of them did better than others. Family Feud, Newlywed Game, we did. Yeah. Game, you know, we did a whole bunch. But you know, Double Dare was the next really big one. And uh, that was a very exciting because it was the first time we had gone to a, a cable station, you know, Nickelodeon, and uh, licensed uh, the, the game show. And th- th- it was like two weeks after we licensed it, it t- they put it into syndication. Yeah, I, I reading that in the book, it was kind of... Uh... I was telling the guys, it seemed like you were just, you were always just a little bit ahead of the curve, huh? You found a property that maybe wasn't hitting on all strides and you locked in on it, on them. And it seemed like, you know, only a matter of months or weeks before things hit big and double dare is kind of the perfect example of that. Right. Cause I mean, I know as a kid growing up in the eighties, we didn't have cable, but I watched double dare every day mm-hmm. because it was on syndication. Right. right? Yep. And you saw those ads and your game was a huge part of that. You know, bring the excitement of Double Dare to yeah. your house. Physical your challenge. House. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, you point out, you know, we were a little ahead of the game. And, and thinking back, you know, it's, a, it's I think you're right. And, I, and I'm thinking the reason of that is that, you know, it was a private company. We could do whatever we wanted to do. If we liked something, yeah. do it. We didn't have shareholders. We didn't have anybody watching us. Uh, it, it gave you a freedom just to do what you thought was good. And... Uh, there's, there's something that really rings true about that. Yeah. Another game uh, Another game from that time period uh, that I was shocked was a Pressman game um, was Let's Go Fishing. The, the, the version of Let's Go Fishing, which is on the cover of the book, yep. is, in our, is in our game cabinet right now. My son was playing it last week. Like that game and that the sound of those fish, yes. that wheel turning, clicking, yep. um, just a timeless, timeless game, right? And that's one that's never had an ad, never had to really be promoted because no. it's just a, you know, it, the game sells itself, right? It's timeless. Yeah, just a classic, <laughs> classic game. It it is, and my wife was just saying how, you know, when we went through the old catalogs, there was a fishing game in the 1930 catalog. There, there it, was it's, a, it's been a constant. Yeah, so, you know, usually in the beginning they were just magnets, 
you know, and then it evolved. Hook a magnet in the yeah. mouth. It's, oh, it's great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Love it. Uh, that that was another, just, you know, another fluke. You know, who who we had no idea it was going to turn into what it turned into. I know you mentioned uh, Donna a few times. I do have a question for Donna. What was it like entering this crazy world when, when you met Jim and you get into the board game world? Like, how, how did that come to be? What went through your mind when you're entering uh, this this toy and, and gaming industry? It was fun. I bet. It had to be fun, right? Yeah, how could it not? It was light, you know, where people would be bankers or, you know, other, other dads. Nothing was tangible. Um, my husband had this this tangible company first off it was games things were fun but also there was a factory um we would take our daughters class there to visit kids actually got to see things they got to see checker pieces coming off the line like that so you know, <laughs> it was real yeah could you could me could you imagine your dad's uh mm-hmm. you know the ceo of a gaming company right. takes your whole class to a field trip you get to watch yeah. these <laughs> games produce that, that's crazy it's that's like so dreams cool. are made that up. is so cool <laughs> I, I i remember as when i was a, a kid and we took my class you know my, to the to the school it was a very popular class trip and you know we took the class and i remember asking the kindergarten teacher well what do we give the kids for lunch and she said duh McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> that's true true to this day every kid's favorite yep, meal McDonald's. still yeah <laughs> you know one thing i read in the book guys was um talking about the game therapy from uh, 86 and how you, uh, Jim, you gave it to Donna on your guys' first date. But just reading about that game and at the time how, you know, it was a board game. It was for adults, right? It had sophisticated themes. Kids weren't going to play this game. Right. But it was sold in places like Toys R Us. And, you know, now now board games, you know, you think of like Cards Against Humanity. And there's just so many things targeted to adults. But back in the 80s, I can't imagine there was a lot of stuff like therapy on the shelves. Um, you know what I mean? It had to be, it had to be unique for its time, right? You're, you're absolutely right. And, you know, it never really got the, to the success that it deserved. It was a really well done game. Do well today if it was, I'm not sure if it is still around or, or not. No, it was developed by, you know, a psychologist and a psychiatrist. You know, it was a good group of guys who were kind of quirky in their own way. But yeah, on, on, on our, the first time I met Donna, she came over to a share house we had in Long Island, Vermont, and she came over with her friends. And, you know, I had this game hanging around the house and she didn't know what I did for a living. And <laughs> she was about to find out. Right. <laughs> Again, it was also, you know, an intrigue and Jimmy was doing something that was fun. You know? <laughs> Serious makes money, but it was fun. Right. And, and that still holds true to this to this day where you, you go on a date or you, you've, you've got a new um, girlfriend or boyfriend and you end up having a game night with other friends and it's a great icebreaker and that's what board board games unite yeah everybody it's the best way to bring groups of friends together and, and you know therapy is a trigger for that and, and what are some other games that you had maybe thought of or, or had licensed a- along the way where Hey, this game is going to be a great party game. Game nights have become so huge, especially in modern day pop culture. But what were some other games that that was your your selling point? That's what you really wanted to target on was getting big groups of like young adults together. Oh, I remember. I mean, there's a few of them, I guess, that didn't make the book. But uh, Read My Lips, I liked. 
And I think there have been some other variations of that over the years. It was something where, you know, you had to communicate uh, uh, some saying or something without actually saying the words. And it was right after George Bush did his, you know, read my left. Oh, okay. oh, I got you, yeah. Right in the 90s wheelhouse. There. I've absolutely played a game of this sort. Yes. It probably was read my yes. left. Yeah. yeah. I remember that as a kid. Yeah. 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 And, you know, charades has always been a classic. Fibfinder? Uh, well, Fibfinder is more of a kid's, okay. uh, a kid's version. But um, it's, it's it's a good example of something for yeah. yeah that's honestly that's what I was thinking of was because it's definitely that idea, uh, and it definitely the commercial really that was a great commercial, <clears throat> you know the girl says uh, <clears throat> you know who 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 you have a crush on, she says oh my brother oh. <laughs> <laughs> are you kidding of course I don't sleep with the stuffed animal that's not what the fifth finder says. <laughs> Finder, the game that tells all. Do you have a secret crush on someone? A crush? Me? No way. Let's ask the Fib Finder. Find out which friend might be telling the truth or a big fib. Fib Finder says you do have a crush on someone. On who? Your brother. You never know what you'll find out when you play Fib Finder. Fib Finder from Pressman. Oh, that's funny. Well, talking about uh, great commercials, right? Pressman's yes. had a lot of them over the years. A There's lot. still a couple other ones I want to discuss, but one that comes to mind is like, you guys remember that first Domino Rally commercial? Oh, man, yep. how close up on the yeah. Domino's yes. falling. Yep. I mean, it it just made Domino. You wanted that you thing wanted it so, so bad. bad. You wanted that rocket to go yep. flying in the air. <laughs> Absolutely. Man, those ads. Yeah. Yeah. No, that that was a total agency thing, right? They just made that thing look so so great. The Domino Rally was definitely like one of those prizes you could win on Double Dare, right? It was. You got through it the was. end. Yep. <laughs> the prize was was Domino Rally, the oh, big man. set, right, with the yep. rocket. No, we had a great run with that, and that that was an example of something that was uh, being sold in, in in England after it had it had been in the U.S. with some company. I think the company had gone bankrupt. It just got lost. Then it ended up in England at a company, and they were doing well with it. And I saw it over there at a toy fair, brought it back, and like you said, that commercial was great. It sure did. Another ad right around that same time, uh, Thin Ice. Everybody's running to get Thin Ice. Take the tweezer in your hand and take a marble from the stand. Don't run Thin Ice. Don't run Thin Ice. No! Put your marble right on top and pass the tweezer before they drop. Don't run Thin Ice. Thin Ice from Pressman. It's cool. Thin Ice. Remember Thin That's Ice? Classic. So I remember playing a lot of Thin Ice. Me and then, too, yeah. you know, in preparation for this discussion last night, I watched the Thin Ice commercial. The mm -hmm. second I saw it, I was like, dude, I remember this, all of it. Yeah. I remember every yep. second of this commercial. Mm -hmm. Just a timeless, timeless commercial. Dude, what a fun game. Yeah, yeah to, this, to this day, you go to the zoo. I'm sure you take oh, your yeah. kids. The kids yep. always want to watch to go to the penguin exhibit. Always. So perfect concept with that. And yeah, Thin Ice. Love that game. Water melted the tissue and. <laughs> <laughs> it was a big discussion. Do we, do we give him a box of tissue? Do we give him some tissues with the game or have them own, use their own tissue? Yeah, that's yeah. what I was trying to remember. Was it literally it was just tissue? So yeah, you could you just use your any? own. Oh, yeah. Okay. A little, uh, little uh, pool for water in the bottom. So when you took the marble up and put it on the tissue, the water made the tissue, you know, look like it's melting. What, what, did, you, what did you put tissues in the box? We put one small thing of in the box and then suggested they buy their own tissues. We didn't. We didn't. We didn't need to sell tissues when I was growing up, right? And we still. The company still does it. But if you're missing marbles, if you checkers, uh, you would send in twenty five cents for more pegs. Remember, 
you know, being home and my mother would be taking the coins off and I, I think she put it into the company, but I'm not sure. Uh, you know, as time went on, people would checks and so forth. But in the beginning, it was just all coins. Another game from that same era, since I'm just going to rattle off all my mm-hmm. all my iconic commercials in a row here. Right. The other one, about a year later, 91 era, remember Jumping Monkeys? Jumping Monkeys, yeah. With the yeah. monkeys and the little, the little catapult, and they fly on Into the tree. The tree. Yep. That was another game. I, I remember playing with my sisters a lot. Just like real fun, lighthearted games that a group of kids could play together yeah. and you know had the replayability factor, which I'm sure was a huge part of developing these mm-hmm. games. It's super know. easy to learn. You just yeah. sit down and play. Jumping monkeys, jumping monkeys, flying free. Fling them up into the tree. Jumping monkeys, aim, let go. Try to hang them high or low. Jumping monkeys, hang always. They're so much fun. You'll play every day. Jumping monkeys from Pressman. Yeah, man, you're right. As soon as you knew... When you, when you tested a game and you played it once and you said, let's do it again. So how, how good did you become in Jumping Monkeys? I was pretty good. I, my two sisters are younger than me, so I had the uh, the advantage, yeah. right? The height advantage. Yep. You know, I really could be- I could make that monkey fly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was always a fun game to play. Uh, it was, I was thinking of going to my cousin's house to that one because he had it. And, and, um, and then after you play that game for, you know, half hour or whatever, the... As as a bunch of young boys, those monkeys end up becoming uh, basically baseballs in your hands, where you're just firing them at each other. <laughs> Not that they're going to do much damage, but so, somebody always uh, causes a problem, and we got to you, you get into an argument, and the monkeys start really jumping out of your hands. Right. There. <laughs> well, uh, one other game, a couple other games, I wouldn't mind hitting on from the '80s. One. One, just because I absolutely had it as a kid, and I remember it, I don't really remember much about the game itself, was the Save by the Bell games from 93. I mean, Save by the Bell was such a huge property in the early 90s. Uh, I mean, it was on TV all the yes, time. All, the, all day Any, long. Anyone who grew up in the 80s and 90s like us, you watch Save by the Bell mm-hmm. multiple times a week. Yeah. Yes. So to have a game of it. You know, I in my mom's basement, I can picture it up to about five years ago. If I went in her basement, that Saved by the Bell board game was sitting on that yeah. shelf. And, you know, we played it our whole lives. Saved by the Bell and Carmen San Diego. That was one of the early uh, games of its kind that uh, did much, did better, a lot better than I actually, you know, thought it would. It was one of those, you know, it, it's not your, it wasn't automatic, right? It's a little older. Uh, it's definitely girl-oriented. It, it it did really well. Yeah, another unique product from that same time was Zoomball. You guys familiar with this? I was once I saw it in the book. Man, yeah, brought I, I it back. I don't. I didn't have a Zoomball as a kid, but watching that ad, last I remember night, the commercial. I was yeah. like, how did my mom not get me this? Thing? <laughs> right. I want. It looks so cool. <laughs> Gotta get it now. So cool and you un- and unique, right? In the for for pressmen, right? Because I mean, it's not really traditional board game in any way it's more of like a you know it's like along the lines of nerf or something you know what i mean hey how about some zoom ball once you played zoom ball life seems a bit slower (laughs) zoom ball's the fastest glide you've ever tried it's there and back in less than a second zoom ball from pressman Exactly right. Um, but I do remember viscerally the first time that uh, this fellow Jerry Smith, who's been a friend for ages, um, came down from Canada. And he had this game up there and we did it in my office in New York. And after 
five seconds, I said, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, all that speed and there's no danger. Yeah, that's the best part, mm-hmm. especially as a parent to know your kid can go out there and whip <laughs> right. that thing and no one's going to get hurt. Right. That's great. So Yeah, so much fun. Yeah, that was a great one. Absolutely. So so once again, all these games you can read about in your book that's available November 29th. It's a century of American toys and games, a story of Pressman toys, 100 year anniversary. Uh, Jim, I mean, you, you, what, what else do people need to know about this book? Uh, well, you can find it on uh, Amazon. You can find it on Barnes and Noble, um, you know, online. Uh, if you happen to be in Manhattan uh, on November 29th, uh, we're having a book signing at the Rizzoli Bookstore. Uh, I think the only thing is that I, I hope people can appreciate it for what it is, which is a lot more than just, you know, a love game. It's a story of a family. It's a story of my father's, from starting with his father, my grandfather, who came from Europe and had a little toy store in, in New York. And how it grew from that uh, into this family business that my mother ran for all those years. And when I read the book, <laughs> you know, I'm enthralled with what's before me. And then when it gets to me, it's like, well, this is my life. <laughs> it, uh, you know, love just reading the history. So you guys do a great show. I love listening to you guys and going back on the, I mean, the 80s and 90s is a great period. Uh, and, and so much of, what we have today was created then. So uh, it's just really nice to be able to share it. Absolutely. we got one more thing for you before you go, but I just want to plug that one more time. For those of you in Manhattan, it's going to be Christmas season, post-Thanksgiving, November 29th. It is a Tuesday. Go meet Jim. Get your book signed. Pick it up. It's going to be a tremendous opportunity. Um, and you get to see all these cool games in this book and, and read about them. And like I said, you get to meet the man himself, the man behind it. Um, so we're looking forward to that. Makes me almost want to fly out to New York here from the right. from the Detroit area <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and do my Christmas shopping in, in New York City. would be pretty cool to do. But when you're out, stop by Rizzoli's, meet Jim. But one more thing before you go, something we do here on the ToyCast that we like to wrap things up with is we like to talk about our top three. Usually it's a specific action figure line. We've got our top three games here from Pressman Toys, but uh, we wanted to get your thoughts on it, Jim, so we can give you a minute to think about it if, if you wish. I know it's going to be hard to break it down to just three, but uh, that's something we like to do here if you're interested. Well, R- Rummy Cube definitely has to be, uh, you know. Yep. yep. I'm, I'm with Jim. Rummy Cube is yep. in my top three. It's in mine, too. Uh, I, of all Pressman's titles, Rummy Cube's the one constant for literal decades. Mm-hmm. That's the one we play the most. Rummy Cube's my number one. My number one's Thin Ice. Oh, Thin mm-hmm. Ice. Thin Ice is my number one, yeah. Thin Ice is in mine, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll go. My second uh, would be Triominoes, right? You know, just a little bit behind Rummy Cube. Not much. It's close. It's real close. But Triominoes is just an enduring, timeless game. Mm-hmm. So fun to play. And that'd be my second game for sure. I have to go. With the classic, Dizzy Dizzy Dinosaur. <laughs> I knew you were going to say <laughs> that. Love that game so much. Uh, Topple is my number two. Topple's Topple's a good oh, Jim, what, do you, what about you? I, would, I, I have to go with Gooey Louie just of what it, not, not that it's the greatest game ever, but it just has always been such a, you know, a standout in terms of changing the tide and everything. 
Yeah, Gooey Louie is a, is a good one. Guys, you got a third one? I'm, like, deep in thought my, over here. My third one's uh, not one we talked about, and it's a little bit more on the rare side, but a game called Like Minds. Uh, that was a big, big party game that, that uh, I remember playing a lot, you know, within the last 15 years or so, I think, is when it came out. But Like Minds, I really liked that. Joe, you got a second one? Uh I mean, it's between Thin Ice and Topple. I mean, both of those are great. But, I mean, one that I really wanted that I never got was Double Dare. Yeah. I wanted Double Dare so bad as a kid. Double Dare's a good one. Yeah. My, my third and final is going to be Domino Rally. That's, right? a, that's a great pick. I never had the full set. I never made the rocket go off. But I had, you know, I had the small one. We had and, the small set, yeah. And, it, hey, man, nothing made Dominoes cooler than Domino Rally. No, it was you, awesome. Especially if you got the neon ones, the glow-in-the-dark Oh, my gosh, style. yeah. <laughs> Game changer. <laughs> Jim, you got a final uh, top for the top three? Wow. Wow. This is a... I know. We're taking 100 years of work and right. making you answer it on the on the spot here. I mean, I, I, I did play a lot of Chinese checkers in my day. I, I developed a, a good knock hockey skill. <laughs> that, that never really got out of New York, though, out of the East Coast. Did you ever play knock hockey? I have. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, as a big hockey fan, of course, anything with hockey in the title, I was going to play. So I was in. <laughs> Maybe I'll go with therapy as my third just because it means so much to my wife. Right. There you go. Yeah, there it is. That's, Sentimental, the, that's the perfect yep. answer, the p- perfect cap to this podcast. It is. <laughs> but, yeah, I know you guys, uh, time is precious. Uh, the book comes out next week, and we just appreciate you guys. Thank you for all the games, all the memories that you've provided for me and my family and everyone else yeah. involved. Um, just an awesome, awesome book. I'm going to read it again this week. and. If you guys have a chance, please check this book out. It is awesome, especially this time of year. Perfect gift. If you have someone in your life that's interested in games or toys, uh, if you're listening to this podcast, I'm sure you know someone, or you are that someone. You are that someone. (laughs) Get yourself this book. Do yourself a favor. Put it on your Christmas list. Amazon wish list. (laughs) There you go. You guys are too sweet. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thanks for listening to this episode of the Time Blaster Toycast. Thank you so much to Jim Pressman, Donna Pressman of Pressman Toys. And again, pick up their book and meet Jim. November 29th is when the book comes out. Rizzoli in Manhattan there. And anything else you want to close on us uh, on this podcast with here, Jim? Uh, It was only 6 o'clock in the evening. I just didn't mention the time. But I just say you guys are great. You just... You keep the board games alive, and it's a it, it's it's a great thing you're doing. Thank you. We appreciate yes, it. Very much. It means a lot. Thank you, guys. Wow, that was a lot of fun, guys. Huh? Our first ever interview. Yeah, I think it went great. Yeah, Absolutely. we got to listen to it back. I don't know. Felt pretty good. It felt good. Jim is a is a great guy. What a great talker. Yeah. Full of facts. Absolutely. Yes. Well, so much history, and and the cool thing about Pressman Toys is, I mean, they were all they've been around forever, including our childhood. And yeah. Yeah, you know where you could even see a Pressman games, uh, a game in a catalog. Absolutely, would be you know in the '80s or the '90s, which kind of brings us to next week's episode. Mm-hmm. So the Christmas season is upon us, right, guys? That's right. So next week we're gonna go back to 1995. Mm-hmm. We're gonna bust out the Sears Christmas book, and we're gonna circle gifts we want on our wish list. Oh man, it's gonna be fun. That's gonna be a while, man. How are we gonna choose? So many pages. I mean, how many pages are in a 95 Sears catalog? Or at least 200. Holy smokes. So, yeah, that's going right. to be a lot of fun. That'll kick off the Christmas season, and then we got, what, three, four other Christmas pods coming your oh, way yeah. this year. Buckle up, guys. Let's Buckle do up. it. <laughs> <laughs>